Well, we're in Wild and Free, and we're also uh, in this time of prayer. So I'm going to start this by, by praying over our churches this week and uh, this weekend, and it's the leaders. So Father, we just thank you for all that you're doing in the kingdom. Thank you that you chose us, every one of us, and you continually choose us day after day, looking beyond our flaws and into the, through, the, through the ashes into the beauty. You're pulling jewels out of us, Lord. You're restoring our hearts. You're redeeming us. Though you have redeemed us, you are continually redeeming us. And Father, we just pray, pray for restoration in every church in Henderson County, in every church beyond. We pray for pastors to just rise up and see the needs of the people and lead people into freedom. I pray for pastors that, to have freedom, Lord. I pray for churches to be clean and full of unity and, and amongst them, Lord. I pray for churches uh, across the board that, that churches unite with one another and there just be unity in the body. I would just break down right now in the spirit. We just break down walls of division, walls of confusion, walls of fear, walls of misunderstanding, walls of doubt. And Father, we just want to lift you up and let you be the one that leads the body, that leads the church and leads the head of any church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're talking today about the big three. I want to call it the big three. There's this context and leadership and personal growth and, and things along that line is the big three. And so if you were in our leadership uh, night this Thursday. Who was there this Thursday? Yeah, was that good? Yeah. Man, I, you know, if there's something about teaching, you just get a little bit more of it. So I want to encourage you guys to start teaching at some point, but it's just so rich con and, and content, but I, I see it bear fruit in my own life, and so that's why I'm so passionate about it. Uh, that's why I really was one of those things where I just want everybody to get it. If I, I just wish, I just want you to get it. I just want you to get it. And a lot of times you'll see my passion up here, uh, and it's because I just want you to get it. Like I, I just want, I, I want what I, I want. What God has done in me, I want Him to do the same thing in you, and He will, and He can. And we're going to talk about that through the big three today. But I've got some, I've got some statements for you when it comes to freedom. One, you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. Like, we'll get right to that place where God wants to work on us, and then all of a sudden we make an excuse for it. Well, that's okay. Well, I'm just a sinner. Well, God forgives me. Well, you fill in the blank. It's an excuse. But you're, what, you don't, what we don't realize is we're right there in the middle of progress, and we accept the fact rather than walking beyond the issue, beyond the struggle, and actually finding freedom. So we rest in our iniquity rather than propelling into progress and into freedom. We're right there. And every time we say, well, that's okay, we settle in it, we, we, we allow it, we're basically saying, I'm good with staying in this sin. I'm good with this iniquity. I'm going to settle here. It's my comfort zone. You remember my little circle card that I gave you? Somebody? That's my comfort zone because I, if I start to get out of that, I start to get in my fear zone. Well, dear, uh, D.L. Moody says this, our greatest fear should not be of failure but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter wow. or succeeding at something that really keeps us in bondage. And that's what we're doing. My fear, my, our greatest fear should not be a failure. Because when we start stepping out, that's usually what we fear is failure, right? We, you know, people are going to shame us or something's not going to work out, and so we fear failure. But rather of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter, succeeding at staying in our iniquity or succeeding at staying in our comfort zones. That's really what we should fear because Scripture says, what I fear will be brought before me. Whew. Man, it, sometimes it seems like some of the things that we actually fear, those are the very things that we're constantly being faced with. And maybe, just maybe, we need to, be, we need to re realize, you know what? I don't want to stay here. And so I, I'm going to have reverence towards the Lord so he can walk me through this thing so I can no longer feel fear failure. Fear failure. But I... I want, to, I want to tell you, remind you guys our, our, our mission statement, and that's why we, why we do what we do, and that's loving people where they are and helping them become all God created them to be. And we can't do both. We, we can't just love people where they are and not help them become all God created them to be. And at the same time, we can't just receive love from others and love from God and not try to become all God created us to be. Can I get an amen in that? So somewhere in that gap, we've got to get off our, our laurels. Is that, a, is that a word that I can say in church? <laughs> and start getting busy. Yeah, <laughs> he said it. Y'all thought it. He said it. I said laurels. 
and start getting busy. But uh, I, I want to brag on you, too, because last week we had a single mother come in, and she's just going through a very uh, difficult time in life. And what my hope was, knowing that she was come, that, that she would just naturally and organically feel welcomed and feel the love of Jesus. And the person that she came to join texted me after church that last Sunday and said, you won't believe it. Well, she, she, she didn't say you won't believe it. She said, so-and-so felt so welcomed, so loved, and not judged finally in church. That's loving people where they are and helping them become all God created them to be right there. If we just love them, the unchurched, the lost, extremely lost, then hopefully we can bring them into a place where they can actually receive love and change. And, but we got to be on our track of change too because if they don't see us changing, they have no desire to change either. We get to decide where the plateau is in the church or the growth is in the church. And it all starts at an individual a cellular level. So your, your growth affects me. My growth affects you. Yes. I'm committed to you. Yes. I'm going to be committed to my growth, and I hope you're going to be committed to your growth yes. so that we can grow together. And guess what's going to happen? The byproduct is the church and the vision just gets fulfilled. Yes. So if we focus on the vision and we don't get healed down at the cellular level, nothing's going to happen, right? A lot of times people focus on their finances, and yet they stay in debt. Just focus on the Lord, be, have a balanced system throughout your life in all areas, and all of a sudden, prosperity comes in whatever level. I mean, Scripture says in Psalms 1, 1 through 3, he who meditates on the, on the Word day and night, everything he touches, everything he does prospers. There's something about that whenever we get the Word inside of us and we just start saturating in the Word, it starts changing our decision-makings, our attitudes, our character, our nature, our temperament, our addictions, our habits. It just starts changing everything because all of a sudden we're seeing things through the Word that's saturated inside of us because we're, we're planted. We're like a tree planted near streams of living water. And, and, and in its season, it will bear fruit. In our season, we will bear fruit. And it's, get this... Tree, the, the leaves will not wither. Isn't that good? Sometimes we feel withered. We're going to shut those doors. We're going to shut those doors because we've got to get the lost saved. We've got to get the saved pastored. We've got to get the pastored trained, and we've got to get the trained mobilized. And you got, I want you to find yourself wherever you are in that journey. Am I, I, hopefully I'm not lost. If I'm lost, I'm lost. Let me just admit that. Maybe my parents declared Jesus Christ as Lord, and I never really did. Uh, I just kind of grew up in a Christian family, and I just assumed their Christianity. But I haven't truly come to the Lord and yielded my heart and said, Lord, I'm a sinner here. My sins, I repent. I need you, and I declare you Lord over my life, and truly let him lead your life. And if that's you here today, listen, you're still lost, and that's okay. The fact that you've been in church for a decade, okay, now it's time to truly say, I yield my life to the Lord, and I'm going to give it my all. It's okay. That's when life starts to change. That's when you'll start to get past these hindrances, these issues, because you'll actually have the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise working inside of you so that you can find healing. So we're trying to get those transferred. So I've had the pleasure of being able to go get a lot of materials later, lately because of things that I'm working on or up here. But what it did is it's brought me into an encounter. My, my wife and I, my mother, mother and uh, my kids went to uh, the material store, and we encountered this, this woman, and for me, it was, it's obvious, kind of a struggle that she's going through, and so we just, she was very kind, we just loved on her, talked with her while she was mixing our, our paints and our goods and things like that, and it was a very refreshing conversation. I go back, I had to get some more of the same product, and so I looked for this person because it made my, my experience was great in that, in that store, and so there I am, I'm waiting for her to get through with another, another uh, customer. And so she comes, hey, I remember you. And, and if we, we just talk, I tell her what I needed. And she goes, she's talking with the kids. I brought my kids there, and she's watching them and looking at them and talking about how, how happy they are. And, and somehow uh, we got to where, what I do. And, and I said, well, my wife and I that you met the other night actually just planted a church in, in Athens. And she goes, oh, you know, yeah. You know, I, I really wish I had a, church, a good church to go to, but me and the one sin that I have, I don't get it. I get rejected in the churches around here. I said, I know, I was driving between Malakoff and Gun Barrel, and I was reading the marquees on these signs, and I'm like, I don't want to go to church there. I don't even feel welcome in those churches. I said, so I don't blame you. I, I get it. I get it. 
But then it broke into a good conver- another conversation where I started explaining to her she had a name tag, and, and her name is biblical. And I asked her if she knew what her name meant, and she goes, well, no, but I think it's in the Bible. And then I started breaking down the truth and the story of, and the importance of that name and how, how we all get to be here because of what happened through the woman that had this name. And I just saw her soul through her eyes, and it just lit up. And, and, I, and you know, I said, you know what? We, we, need to, we need to know the truth. Like, we need somebody to tell us the truth. I said, but, but it's not going to matter if they don't have relational equity in our lives. And you know what she said? She said, exactly right. So what she said is, I want to know the truth, but I want to make sure somebody loves me first so that they can tell me the truth. Isn't that good? It's not that they don't want to know the truth, guys. The lost want to know the truth. They just want to know that we love them as we're telling them the truth, and we're going to walk this thing out with them. That's good. That should bring hope to all of us because we should be burdened because this thing, Jesus is not coming until the, the fullness of the Gentiles have been reached. You get that, right? And so that requires us getting out of our seats and getting a little uncomfortable, but it also requires us just loving the person and the people in front of us beyond ourselves. Whew. But we're going we're gonna to close some doors so we can actually love people beyond ourselves today, all right? We're going to talk about the big three simplified. And here's a, here's a statement the Lord gave me that last night, and, and you can quote me on this. Without freedom, purpose is, ju- purpose is just out of reach. Without freedom. If this is my purpose right here, and without freedom, well, I can just keep striving towards it, and that thing can be a moving goal, but without freedom. Because a lot of us are looking for purpose, and we just want to walk in purpose. I just, what, what's my purpose? I can discover my purpose. But the only thing that's keeping us from really attaining that and grabbing that is freedom. So i got to have freedom, but I need to recognize where I need freedom in order to have freedom, right? And i got to be a little bit humble. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 11.3 gave you the message version because I love the title. It said, pseudo-servants of God, pseudo-servants of God. It says, will you put up with a little foolish, foolish aside from me? Please, just for a moment, the thing that has me up so upset is that I care about you so much. This is the passion of God burning inside of me. I promised your hand in marriage to Christ, presented you as a picture of, as a pure virgin to her husband. And now I'm afraid that exactly as the snake seduced Eve with his smooth patter, you are being lured away from the simple purity of your love of Christ. Isn't that interesting love for Christ? Isn't that, it's simple. It, it, it's simple. In another version, it says the simplicities of the gospel, the simplicities of Christ's love. It's simple. But what is interesting, funny, is that when we stagnate throughout our journey, all of a sudden we want to make things complicated. And stagnation doesn't have an age to it. Maybe I'm just now into coming into Christ or coming into the church, or maybe I've been in church for decades. Stagnation is equal across the board. What was so simple when I just yielded and I gave up my life and I, and I gave it to Jesus and I died so that he may live, things got really simple. But somewhere I got it overcomplicated and stagnation came in and I thought, well, I've got to do all these tricks and hoops and loops in order to get back into the graces of Jesus. And I paralyzed myself with that stagnation mentality. The funny thing is, the, rid- the religious sect of the day, of Jesus' day, also tried to make things overly complicated. In fact, they made it so difficult that it was impossible. So impossible that they themselves couldn't even do it. And so what is it inside of us that wants to overcomplicate things? Because the steps to Jesus are a simple system or process. And I said this on our leadership night. There are the steps to Jesus... Whether you're in stagnation or you've never come to Jesus, it's a, it's a process. It's a, a system. But here's the key to this, and here's the key to every system. Unless it is fulfilled and has a backbone of relationship with him and with others, it's never going to work. Because a system is only, only religion when it doesn't have relationship fueling it. Is that good? I don't want to lead us into religion talking about systems and processes because it's all about relationship, and that's the fluid for the system, okay? Because we just can't say, well, I'm just going to come to Jesus, Jesus, your Lord, okay? Thank you, Jesus. And some, and some of us have done that, but there has been no follow-up relationship, and it really never, de- it never dove into relationship after the yielding unto the Father. Man. John 8, 31 through 36 in the NIV says this, 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Man, that makes it tough. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my, my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what does the truth do? See, a lot of us want to come to Jesus, but then we only want to know our own truth. We want to live our own version of what he says out because it's comfortable for me. And then we wonder, why are we in bondage? Why do we continually have this issue, this struggle, this problem? Well, it might be that we need to make a, a, a switch around with the, what truth is really the truth and which one sets us free. Because in our own, we can judge our own. We can stand proud on our own. We can, we can really stand firm on saying, no, what I believe is the truth, though it has nothing to do with what Jesus ever says. And it's only the truth. It's only his truth that's going to set us free. And they answered him because here's what they thought. They, here's our truth. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. And we have never been slaves to, of anyone. Uh, apparently they forgot they were in Egypt for a long time. <laughs> apparently they had this long conversation. They forgot this long conversation between God and Moses for the people. And they say, I want to bring you out. Apparently they even quit taking communion because communion is all about the time that they were in bondage, that he brought them out of bondage, and then he set them free, and then he says, I'm going to redeem you, and then he says, I'm going to fulfill everything in you. Apparently, they forgot about those things because they were so focused on the rules, the regulations, and the laws, and they didn't realize that their version of the truth never leads to healing or freedom. Apparently, they forgot they were in bondage. And I just want to add here that you can't be free indeed until you realize you are indeed in bondage. Okay? <laughs> that's the only way that's going to take place. So Jesus replied, very, very uh, truly, I say, uh, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, he's not talking about this accidental sin, this sin that just kind of, you know what, oh, man, I sinned, and I did this thing. He's not, he's not talking about that. He's talking about that sin that, like Paul talks about, whenever I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do, it's that sin that so easily entangles me. It's that sin that every one of us has. He's talking about whenever you fall into that sin and you don't let the truth set you free from that sin, it is literally, literally a master that rules over you, and it gets to decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. Right. Whew. And that hurts. It hurts. And each one, each one of you, if I'm talking about that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit lights it up. It comes up upon you. And Scripture says it's a sin that so easily entangles you. And if Paul had a sin, then surely one of us, and each of us, we have a sin as well that we're wrestling with. And we're actually out, trying to, God, I need you to work in this area. I need you to get through this area. I need you, I, I need you more than anything. I, I, I need you. I, I, I got to bring it. That, that one that says, well, my life would be better if I didn't have this addiction. My life would be better if I didn't have this habit. My life would be better if I didn't have this temperament. My life would be better if I wouldn't respond in this way whenever this happened. Well, let me tell you, Jesus wants you to have that better life. And there is a way out of that. Jesus, he, in fact, God wants this better life, this I wish I had a, a better life would be. He wants this better life for you more than you want this better life. I promise you. That's what a good father does. And boy, you've got a good father in the Father of my Almighty. And he says this, he follows up. Now, a slave has no permanent place in, his, in the family, but a son. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, come on. Hallelujah. But we walk around like slaves, thinking we're not connected to a family, that we have no father, that our identity is not in Christ. And so there we are. We're mastered over by this thing that we're not willing to, to face or confront with the power of the Holy Spirit through God, his, through his scripture, his way, because if we're his disciples, then we will know his truth. We will we would adhere to his truth. We'll apply his truth over our lack or our defense of, <laughs> I've, I've confessed Jesus Christ. I have never been in bondage. <laughs> you have to come 1045. <laughs> 10:45. But we got <laughs> we got three types of people. We got the lost. Man, they know they're lost. They, you know what? Great. You know they they know they're lost. I, I'd rather you just know you're lost. We have the saved. 
But then we have Christians that are carnal, the carnal Christians. I like to call Christian con carne. <laughs> right? <laughs> and those are the ones, boy, those are the ones that they just let the, they don't know it, but they love the spirit of religion just rise up and live inside of them. And, and the fact is, we don't even know it. Like, when we, we got that Christian concarney thing going on, we don't even know it. We just, we just think we're righteous in our place, and boy, we stand there judging everybody else. Can you believe they did that? No, you can't. <laughs> but when you grow in Christ, you realize, man, I, I, am, I, am, I got an old nature inside of me, and boy, it's doing everything it can to try to rise up. And that's, that's when you start to get, to, you know, you start getting to another phase, and stagnation is, you're, you're moving out of stagnation. Yes, humility. I, get out of my points, girl. You going moving forward. <laughs> I love you. I'm, I'm playing with you. I love it. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. But Ephesians 4, 26 and 20, 28 says this. In your anger, and I'm, I'm going to pause right there because he's saying, okay, you know what? This is going to happen. But then he says, you got a decision. Do not sin. Because in your anger, you got, an, you got an option. Or in your addiction, you got an option. In your issue, you got an option. You just plug in that thought, that, is, that sin that came about. In your blank, do not sin. So he says, just pause a minute. Just think about what you're about to do. Just think about the temptation that's right there at hand. Think about that issue, that, that, that sin that so easily entangles you. When you're about to do that, think about it. Don't sin. There's a choice. And then there's a choice that we have, we get to decide how far it goes. Because we can, we can walk into anger. We can, we can come into a, 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 this, this attitude. We can come into this, this, this temptation. Jesus was tempted. There's nothing wrong with temptation. Temptation means you're, you are, you are on, under attack by the enemy. Okay, that means he's scared of you. He, okay, he sees God's, God's calling on your life. Okay, that's good news. Oh, thank God I'm, I'm being tempted right now. That's not the problem. The problem is when we start to decide how far it goes and how far in it we go, Right? And we get to choose. And most of us who have had that pain of going all the way to the end of that thing or letting that thing ride, we know the heart issue. We know the, we know the pains and the hurts and the wounds. And boy, whenever we get around anything sensitive like that, we start to get into that place, that old nature start to rise up. As we heal from that, we find humility. It just hurts so bad. Like, I don't ever want to go anywhere near that again. I, I, I don't even want to get near that. But yet, that's still, there's still a place that God needs to heal. There's still room that God has trying to heal your heart. There's still wisdom that God is trying to give you. And I'm going to show you more on that. But it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He says, resolve it. He says, resolve it. Go ahead and resolve the issue right then. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to lay down with the devil and he's going to give you counsel all night long. He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that little foothold. It's just a little bit of foothold. He doesn't need much. He just needs a little bit of foothold. He needs, you to, he needs you to wrestle and mull over what he's saying more than what the Word of God is saying because the Word, one who meditates on the Word day and night, he is like a tree planted near streams of water. He, and everything he does, it flourishes. It, it prospers, right? But if Satan can get you just meditating a little bit on the foothold that he's got in your life, and he can get you to go to bed on that thing without resolving it, boy, he can start to plant some seeds down inside of you, and it, you just wake up. Whew, you wake up a different person. Yeah. You wake up different. And do not give the, foot, the devil a foothold. He says, and he who has been stealing must steal no more. And you know what? You think about that. You think about Satan's a thief, right? Yeah. And I think all of us, Satan has stolen something from every one of us, right? Yeah. And, and there's something that I want you to know today as we go through this whole process is that when we handle this thing God's way, whatever it is, when we handle this thing God's way, not only does, does God rebuke the thief, but he says that he makes the thief restore seven times what he stole. Can somebody just hold in their hand what has been stolen from them by Satan and just bless it and saying, I'm about to get seven of these. You're right. That's exactly what Scripture says. That's exactly what Scripture says. And we all know it. But you have to close the doors and the windows that you, that you, that you, that you have opened. you got to close the doors and the windows that you, Satan didn't open it, you have opened. He just stuck his little foot in there. While you got that door open, you playing around there, I'm going to get in. So you got to close it down. Look at this, Joel 2.9 says, They rush upon the city, 
They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Now, that was something that physically happened in the Old Testament. But if you'll remember the types and shadows of the Old Testament towards the New Testament, that's exactly what that means. He's talking about the demonic presence. They run around. They run upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They may enter through the windows. Satan and his little demons are just looking for a place. That's Joel 2.9, if you want to take the notes. It's not going to be on your screen. Next one either. 2 Corinthians 2.10 and 11 says, Any, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ, Christ for your sake. Paul says, if you forgive, I forgive. And, and if I forgive, then Christ forgives. And if we can forgive... But he's also saying unforgiveness is a major open window. Unforgiveness is a huge open door. And, I, and when I start thinking about this, because a lot of us, and I know this, I know this experientially, I, I have forgiven people. I have forgiven persons. I have forgiven, you know, parents. I have forgiven people who have hurt me. But then Satan starts to bring up, or a memory, an experience starts to look just like this old memory. And it feels like this old setting, though it is a new setting, and this setting has nothing to do with this old experience. But inside of me, the experience of the old pain, the hurt, and the wound starts to rise up over here, and I start to react in this new setting like I would have from the hurt and the pain from this old setting. And what I realize is I haven't fully forgiven the people involved in this old setting, and so I'm about to act a fool with the people in this new setting because of things that happened in this old setting, and I'm going to blame everybody around me because I haven't dealt with the things in this old setting, and I'm bringing it into the new setting. Anybody ever had a cycle of life that looks like that? And if you don't, you're lying, and we need to deal with that today. But it's in that moment through maturity that I messed up this setting because of that setting, and then I had to go to a new setting, and then realize the settings never change. It's not the external things that are going on. It's the guy inside that has some things to deal with. And so what I realize is, oh, God, I forgave, but I need to forgive again, and I need to bless again. And Lord, I want your best over them. And in the 99th and the 100th and the 103rd and the 120th time, that this same thing rises up, and I don't like this thing that rises up because I don't like the outcome that comes whenever I start to act a fool out of this, this pain, this hurt, and this wound that's inside of me. I realize that in that moment, that's a trigger that tells me I need to start forgiving that person over and over again. The Holy Spirit will light that person up, and you'll recognize the setting, the feeling in this area. And so I forgive them again. Lord, I just forgive my, I forgive my dad. I forgive my dad, and I bless him. I thank you for everything that he taught me, everything that was good. I thank you for everything that I learned that I should and shouldn't do. What a blessing he was. He was an amazing coach. He was an amazing father to me. I have all these things to be thankful for. And that's the rumination in my heart and in my mind that I do whenever he comes about whenever, because of situations. But I don't think about anything negative. I don't allow anything negative to come out. I, allow, I overwrite what's going on in my soul with the positives and the blessings and the plus because I want to bless him. And guess what I want to do? I want God to do his work in his life supernaturally naturally things that I could never do by holding on to anger, bitterness, resentment, or pain. All I can do is destroy my life and everybody that's involved. I'm like a time bomb. I'm like a grenade holding it around, just walking around. Just come on. I wish you would. I'll let this thing go. We all go, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it's like, and nobody likes that. Nobody likes the shrapnel. But that's what I have to do. I have to continually forgive because I'm finding unforgiveness. And through, as I was thinking through that yesterday, I almost wanted to act this out. Have y'all seen Ace Ventura? Where he's in that window. So you're opening a window and you're closing a window. You're opening a window and you're closing a window. You're opening a window and you're closing one. When we don't forgive, we're saying, I'm going to open this thing back up. Yep. 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 I gotta forget. <laughs> I open it, I close it. I open it, I close it. I open it, I close it. I open it, but I gotta keep it closed, right? Come on. <laughs> and he says, he follows in verse 11 in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. But unfortunately, many of us are. I think, I think uh, Paul was just a positive speaker. He learned that from Barnabas. I think he learned that from Barnabas. <laughs> Let me pull some from Barnabas stuff. 
But unfortunately, we are unaware of the schemes. He only has three, and he only has, he comes through three doors. He has three little mechanics, and he has little manifestations of each one of them. They're not, he's not that sharp. Unfortunately, we're just unaware of his schemes. And that's why we go to bed night after night with the door open, unlocked, not realizing he's just standing there waiting, crouching down, just waiting for you to pass out so that he can open it up. And so we're going to talk about those three big doors. In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, NIV says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives Forever. I want to repeat this part. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And sometimes we're so connected to culture. We're so connected to what's going on in culture that God is clearly saying, Jesus Christ is clearly saying, I can't be so connected to the culture and truly be connected to the Father. So it comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. So everything I'm connected to, no wonder I don't have life just bubbling up inside of me and through me. Because these things that I'm so connected to, that I so desire, they're going to pass away. There's nothing eternal in them. But yet I focus all my attention, my passions, my, my, everything inside of me is more built on culture than it is on the Word of God. And so therefore... Everything I touch doesn't prosper because I don't have the word of God meditating inside of me day and night. Y'all seeing this picture? Because <clears throat> we, we meditate in day and night on what's going on in the world, what's going on in culture, what they're showing us, what so-and-so is doing, what they did, where they've gone. But here's what happens when we start meditating on those things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life start to rise up. And it's like this. I want to explain this in such another way. It's, y'all remember Let's Make a Deal, Monty Hall? What, door number one, door number two, or door number three? And whenever you choose one, there might be a goat behind it, right? There, do y'all remember that? Am I the only one? Like, it's, this came out in the 60s before I was born, and I'm here, I'm reminding you of this? Anyway, that's how it is. We're, we're constantly like, which one do you want to choose? Door number one? Door number two or door number three. And door number one looks like this. It's the lust of the flesh. And that's our passions. Lust of the flesh. Boy, I just, I just desire this thing. I just want this thing. And that's, that's where our body, that's, that, that's where it's connected to our body. That's where our body starts to rule. Why? Because we have the lust of the flesh inside of us. And those of you, like myself, who used to live in some pretty deep sin, boy, you know that whenever that, that wild hair gets inside of you, nothing can show, show, uh, slow you down. Nobody can tell you any otherwise. You're going to do this thing that you set out to do, so you're going to please the flesh because there's just something just ravaging inside of you, and it is not going to be content until you please it with that thing. Man, I feel like I'm like on a, on a pedestal here just being showing me my sins, and nobody's agreeing with me. Like, maybe I'm the only one. Okay, so us sinners, whenever this thing happens, this is how it feels for us. Condolence <laughs> of conviction. But in our carnality, our flesh will just drive us with this sickness. And it's like, we don't care. We're like, like our, our hair grows out longer. We're like a wolverine. We just, we're going to do this thing and nobody's going to stop me. And everybody else is wrong if you try to stop me because I'm going to be right. Yeah. I've never been in bondage. Shall we have Abraham's son? <laughs> number two, door, door number two, lust of the eyes. That's our possessions. Boy, I want it. I want it all and I want it now and I don't even want to work for it. I want, the, I want, I want everything the world's got. I should have one of everything because the Smiths have it. The Jones need to have it. I want it all. And that's where our soul issues start to be revealed. That's the issues of, of the souls working inside of us. And, and I want to tell you, I, I want you to get that right there. I want you to see that when these things are happening, soul wounds, holes, H-O-L-E, holes start to appear. 
My experience in 2007 and 8, whenever I went through a terrible time in my life and depression, well, God, God kind of blessed me with a scholarship of healing and a scholarship to find some, find some peace and get away. It was, it was a weird deal. Though I was in the worst pain of my life, I had $124,000 in the bank account. Kind of worked out really well. However, after about, <laughs> after about spending a couple of years, spending $70,000 on nothingness, nothing that I have to show for it, just living. Yes, God was discipling me. I was spending a lot of time in the presence of the Lord. He was healing my heart, all these things. What that $70,000 revealed to me was, I've got a hole in my soul. And all these things that I'm doing, these places I'm going, these things that I'm buying, they're evidence of me trying to fill a void that's there that can never be filled by anything of possession, any material thing. But yet I keep trying to stack it in and stack it in, and nothing happens. I just get in deep, and I just blow my money. I've got one snowboard, and I use that snowboard like crazy. That's a $70,000 snowboard I still got. It only cost me $250, actually, but <clears throat> anyway. Then there's the pride of life. The pride of life. That's our position. There's our, that, that's our position, the pride of life. Well, that has to do with our spirit. And you think, well, the spirit, that's good. Not when it's under the control of the demons. Not when Satan's got control of our spirit. That's the pride of life. Well, I should be in a high place. I should, I, I should, everybody should be under my feet. Uh, I should have power, yes. I, I, but what happens is, whenever we truly carry the sonship, the identity of Jesus Christ, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. And we're going to get there. And I better move fast. I'm just having fun with y'all today. Because <laughs> if you're, and God actually says this, he says he not only dislikes it, but he'll actually oppose you. God opposes the proud. You want to walk around with a little pride, Get ready, get ready to battle God. And if you want to get upset because things aren't going well in your pride, you can only be upset with God because he's the one opposing you, nobody else. Whew. That's why we have the whole ministry coming up, by the way, August 23rd and 24th. Let me just plug that in right there because we want to shut these three doors. We want to shut these three doors. And something you probably didn't know, these three were actually manifested in the Old Testament as gods. I'm giving to you. God of Asherah, that was one of them. That was the passions. That was the passions. That was the body, the God of Asherah. And maybe you don't know it, but they had an Asherah pole, and it was the God of fertility. And that's why we don't have a steeple on our church, by the way. Uh, that's where that came from, believe it or not. And uh, your Christmas tree. I don't want to mess your Christmas up, but your Christmas tree that you pretty up, that's from an Asherah pole. And Asherah pole stands for, you know what it stands for, fertility, you remember. And then God of Mammon, Jesus himself, who mentions, who mentions possession, is finally reigning in. Oh, <laughs> possessions. He says, you can't serve God and Mammon. Jesus said, you can't serve God and Mammon. It's a Babylonian God. And then the God of Baal, that's position, the God of Baal, you know, uh, that's, that's really just a, a demon of pride, the God of Baal. And we know what Elijah did to the prophets of Baal, right? Cut them down. And there's only three because the devil's not created. Let's talk about antidotes, though, because there's antidotes to all these. This, this is not an issue for God. This is not an issue at all. There is an antidote, so let's talk about shutting the door. Number one is integrity. Integrity. Integrity comes from the word integer, which means whole, W-H-O-L-E. It means whole. It means to be, to be made whole. Not perfect, okay? Not perfect. It just means to be made whole. People who have integrity, they're very honest. They may, though they may not be perfect, they're honest. Here's where, I'm, here's where I am. Here's what I'm wrestling with. They're whole, and so they can be healed. They can be founded. They can be, they can be strengthened because they're willing to be honest. An example may be, let's say, let's, you have, let's say you have lust as an issue. That's body, right? That's Asherah. That's, that's the point in that. Let's say lust is an issue. Uh, you, you try to take this on yourself, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find yourself defeated. Because you get wound up, wound up, wound up, and then all of a sudden you're going to pop at some point. Because you can't will it strong enough. You can't will it long enough. You need to find someone to talk these things out with. And you need discipleship and prayer. That's why we have our Thrive Tribes coming up in September. I'm going to ask you just go all in. Go all in. We need somebody we can come alongside and say, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with. I need your help. Not only just, I'm not just going to tell you. I need somebody to walk this thing out with me. I need some discipleship around this. I need some prayer around this. I need, I need a, a brother or a sister in Christ to walk this thing through with me so I can actually find, find healing. Let me tell you the secrets about our tribes. 
the tribes are less about the content, they're more about the relationships. Because it's in the relationships that you find healing. The content just gives you information so that the relationship can bring healing, right? The content brings you together, but it's the relationship is where you find healing. Relationship. Proverbs 5, 7, 10, talking about lust. And, and we, ought to read, we ought to be reading a proverb every day, especially men 5, 5 through 7. But the women, there's some of you too. 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door. Isn't that what lust does? It tries to get you a little bit closer. Just a little bit closer. Just, I mean, just, just a little bit closer. Just get a little bit closer. Then all of a sudden, that, that, that sickness inside of you starts to just take over, and you start to feel this different thing going on in your soul, and all of a sudden, it's leading you, and you're lost in your mind, and you're just following that thing. You're following that burning desire that starts to happen inside of your heart. It says, do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Pretty simple. You want to lose everything and watch people eat your food? Just go on into lust. Just, just let lust overtake you. You'll be sitting outside your house watching somebody else go in and out of it. You lose everything. Romans 6, 12 through 24 in the message says, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Do not give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Isn't that, that's a funny little way to put it. Don't even, run, don't, don't even go to the same. Go get, don't go near that old stuff. Don't go, go near those old ways, those old temptations. Don't look at those old things. Don't, don't even drive down the same road you used to drive down. Maybe you went to the, the strip club, the pornography place, whatever it is. I, I heard this testimony. And a guy was telling, literally telling a pastor, he's like, every time I go to work, I, I, you know, I go by the porn store, and I just can't help but to go by it all after work. And the pastor said, go a different way. Yeah. I mean, literally, go a different, go, turn left instead of going right every time and driving by it. Go a different way. Go a different route. And he says that you are connected with the old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Let me say it this way. Throw yourself wholeheartedly into a tribe and get some relationship around you. Throw yourself wholeheartedly into the circle of others and allow yourself some healing and freedom. Let go of some pride and allow your walls to come down so that God can actually work through others in your life. Get rid of this. It's just me and Jesus stuff because Jesus was never just me and the Father. He had to be me and the Father and then others to arms of the cross. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Man, that's so good. And addiction is just that. It's doing what I don't want to do. And it's not doing what I want to do. That's addiction. So we all have some form of addiction. Hey, I'm Pastor Nathan, and I'm an addict. I mean, I, I, there's things that I do. I, I, why do I do that? Why did I just do that? It doesn't have to be harsh and, and hard and, and this huge sin, but it's sin is sin. And if, if I even just keep going there, and I know God's working on my character, and I know God's working on my nature, but yet I take the bait and I do that very thing, why did I just do that? Why did I do that? To have integrity in life, we must examine all areas of our life. We've got we to really sit under the microscope and allow God to work on all areas. Our flesh must be brought under the Spirit to do so. Very simply said, just say yes to God and no to the devil. <laughs> I mean, sir, ma'am, the grass is not greener on the other side. And if it is greener, it has a higher water bill and you're gonna, it's going to cost you more money. Okay? <laughs> so what shuts the door on the demon spirit of possessions then? Possessions, because that's door number two. We're talking about generosity. Talking about generosity, Genesis 4, 2, and 7 says this, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the fat firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his, and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. The Lord said, said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. There it is again. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You see it? Yeah. Be, angry, do it be angry, but then you get to decide how far that's going to go. Yeah. Be tempted to do that thing, but you get to decide how far that's going to go. Do what's right, and you won't have any issues. He, he, the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Generosity is expressed through time, talents, treasures. You want to get rid of the attitude of possessions. I got to have more, got to have more. Start giving more. Yeah. Start giving more of your time. Start giving more of your talents. Start giving more of your, your treasures. God is mainly concerned about being the first in everything in our lives. He just wants to be first. That's the point he was trying to show to Cain. You didn't make me first. He wants to be first. Malachi 3.10, he says it a different way. And 11 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. All, not part of it. All the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he says, try me now in this. You can test God in one thing. We get to test God in one thing. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing. Everybody wants that that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke, boy, that's the good news, he will rebuke the devourer for our sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. And that's good, says the Lord of hosts. Give God, give God the first of everything, of everything. I assure you, your generosity is close to the heart of Jesus. Because here's what Jesus would do whenever the offering would be taken up. Let's say we brought that black box up. Here's what Jesus would do. He'd watch every person come up here, and they would put money in the box, and he would know the condition of the heart by how much they put in the box. Look at this in Mark. It says this, For the rich only gave out of their surplus, but she sacrificed out of her poverty and gave God all that she had to live on, which was everything she had. He gave, she gave from everything that she had. That's how God knows the condition of our heart, because our willingness to be generous, generous in all aspects. You want to find freedom from that area, and this is what he's doing. This, this, this is what Jesus is looking for, because God doesn't need your money. In fact, the church doesn't even need your money. God and the church, we want believers. And believers are generous. You don't even have to bring up money. It just starts happening. It just starts coming. And here's what happens. Here's how God, here's how God tests and challenges and grows our heart. That as we become believers who are generous, because that's what a believer is, because Jesus was generous. Now, we can't live a different gospel than Jesus lived, right? And only the truth is going to set us free. But here's what happens. God resources us to resource his bride because we're the bride because when we actually start to become generous, he opens the floodgates of heaven, right? That's what it said. See if I don't open the windows of blessing. But we actually are holding it in our hand and saying, I don't know if I want that many blessings right now. I don't know. I don't know if I want blessings. The issue is of the heart he's trying to work out so he can be a full flow through us so he can actually bless, him, bless his bride through us, but we got to let go of some things. That's why one of our core values is you, don't get, you only get to keep what you give away. You only get to keep what you give away because otherwise the devourers will come after it, and he'll be like, you choose that. Have fun with that one. Have fun with that one. Antidote number three, to shut the door on pride and position, we need some... Humility, Tammy said. Humility. <laughs> I told you you were getting ahead of me. Humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. And that's what the world thinks. Well, you just need to think less of yourself. No, it's thinking of yourself less. Right. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not all about me whenever I walk into a room. It's not about me, all about me whenever things are going down. It's not about, all about me when I'm, when I'm a part of something. It's not all about me. Because when it is about me, I'm walking in a lot of pride. I'm worried about my position. I'm worried about my authority. I'm worried about the wrong things. But he says, poverty in spirit is not humility either. It's actually dishonor. When I have poverty in spirit, I'm actually dishonoring the creator who says I'm a masterpiece. So there's somewhere, there's a gap in there somewhere that God's working on. Confidence and humility should coexist. 
And whenever you get to this place and you've worked through enough battles and you've started shutting these, door, these doors and, and there's area avenues of these doors that you've begun to shut, some of the little doors, you realize this ain't going to work unless I get humility, but my confidence is no longer in me like it used to be because that's what pride did, arrogance did. It put confidence in me, but my confidence now is in the Lord because if he's brought me through these things humbly, I know he can bring me through the rest of these things. And if he's saying he's going to do something, I can have full confidence, not in me, but in his ability to work through me as long as I stay humble because God can do, there is nothing impossible with God. That's when confidence and humility start to line up and start to link up. And that's when people are starting to wonder about where they get that. Where did that come from in them? Well, they worked through a lot of junk. They had to go through a lot of battles. They realized that confidence is from the Lord and confidence is in the Lord. And they realize they're a son now. They realize they're a daughter. They realize their identity is in him. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. They're fully convicted by what he says in a positive way. And they're fully confident in what he says he wants to do through them so they can humbly walk in it. And when we humbly walk in it, we will see the blessings from God just pour out upon us. In fact, he opens the sea as he did it with Moses. And he makes a way where there is no way. And he does this. Revelations 3, 7, 8 says, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know, I know your deeds, he says. So see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That person's been through a lot of battles. They've had some war stories. They walk with a limp, right? They get it. They realize, no, this ain't going to happen unless you show up, God. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. Woo. Man, this is really good. That's why everything I do, that's why everything that person do, that's why everything they do, everybody he's talking to, the person he, people he's talking about, it just prospers. Because it doesn't matter about my situation. I just keep his word in the midst of the situation, and he makes a way where there would have otherwise logically been no way. That's when he knows we're sons. We read it earlier. That's when we know we're sons. And we just start having full confidence in what he can do. Because you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And this is for somebody, someone today. Uh, years ago, my pastor sat down with me and he said, I need to start doing some development with you. And I was excited. I'm like, yes, I love this. because I, I love, I've always taken on a mentor in my growth. Probably in the wrong things I did too, I took on a mentor. But yeah, I was like, great, now we're going to start growing, I'm going to start work, being worked on, and boy, this is going to be good. He goes, I want you to go through the Old Testament, go through Scripture, and I, wanna, I want you to uh, Google search every verse and every passage that has to do with pride and arrogance. <laughs> Real story. And so I did, and I kept a journal. I journaled every, every verse in our little bitty house, house, every verse, every passage. I read about every king. Every prophet, every person that God put into a position, and in that position, pride and arrogance begin to rose, rise up in their hearts. And then I journaled everything that took place once that happened, and they wouldn't be humbled. There were some he could humble. There were some he just had to take out. And some of you today are wrestling with that very thing, and it may be good to realize every time God puts me in a place. It's him putting me in a place. Let me just find rest in that place. Let me find identity in Christ in this place and watch him make a way where there is no way. Let me, let me be angry or be in this. Let, me, let this temptation come about, but yet let me no longer take it this far. Let me no longer live out old unforgiveness in this new situation. Let me no longer live in this new situation with an old mentality. I've never been in bondage. Let me just, let me see, if I'll just humble myself up a little bit, and I'll truly have confidence in the word of God and what it says, maybe I'll finally find the healing that he has for me so that I can live this abundant life that Jesus came to bring. Now, I'm going to give you three ways out. If you can get the worship team to come forward, I'll go ahead. John 3.30 says this, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. 
Humble people are no longer concerned about their own lives as much as they are the lives of others. Humble people wake up with a burden for other people. Humble people are not worried about where their paycheck's going to come from because they know God's going to supply a way if they'll do what they're called to do, what their purpose to do, what they need to do, and he will make a way where there was no way. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a people that can walk into the middle of a a dark room, so to speak, a scenario where I don't know what's going to happen, I'm just going to walk in faith. And then we trust him with the outcome beyond what we feel, what we fear, what we think we should anticipate, what we doubt, what we want. We just trust him through that. And in the midst of that, there's heart surgery. Miss that as heart surgery because now we're finding confidence in who he is. We don't have our feelings tied to our own wants because we found as they care for what God cares for, he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we need to develop a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Right now we're in our 21 days of prayer and it's on purpose. I want you to pray with us throughout these 21 days. Just pray. Pray for God's healing, his, his, his anointing. Pray for him in the midst, pray for him to do a work in your heart in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the wounds and the pains and the hurts and the angers and everything that that addiction, that, that sin that we talked about, whenever that starts to rise up, pray for him to do a work right there when that happens. And freedom from our struggles are as simple as, God, I'm messed up in this area. I, I'm, I'm messed up and I need help. And here's what happens. We come to him, and we really, we really have this repentant heart. And we come to him, and we're, maybe we're down on our knees, or maybe we're sitting or standing. Maybe we have our little journal in our, our lap, but we're coming to him. God, I'm messed up, and I just need some help. The problem is, we walk away in further bondage, not experiencing his healing if we just get up and just walk out of that. Because we have to learn to rest. We have to learn, learn to tarry right there for a little bit. We have to learn to let him start to reveal some areas of our heart and speak to us. We have to learn to let him begin to communicate where that happened and how that happened and what we're still holding on to and what it is that's, that's causing that little tweak. We have to let him to begin to re- show us those things and, and then walk through those things with him. But if we do, we do get to go ahead and get up, we get out of that moment, we're staying in bondage. And what we're, we're thinking is, well, I went to the Lord and he didn't do anything. Or I went to the Lord and I got a little piece of feeling. I got a good feeling and I call it healing. But yet I still wrestle with this thing over and over and over as if nothing ever happened. One thing. Going to him, that's where we find, we find forgiveness, going to him. The other part of it, this is a two-part deal, we need to go find a friend. Because we come to the Lord for forgiveness, we come to a friend for healing. James 5, 16, confess your faults, confess your sins, confess one to another. Pray for each other that you be healed. It's a two-part deal. I get forgiveness from God, I get for healing from God through others. He wants us together. Don't rush those moments. Don't rush the healing. Learn to tarry in his presence for a little while. Learn to put, put social media away. Learn to put whatever distraction it is away. Learn to put your kids away, whatever it is. Learn to put it away and just tarry. Just tarry. Wait in his presence. And you know the feeling when he starts to saturate on your lives. I want to pray for you. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you for your your presence, and we thank you for your healing. And Lord, I just I pray today for those who maybe they've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on their own. Maybe they were born into a Christian culture. Maybe their parents were Christians, but yet they can't truly say that they have confessed, they have yielded their heart, they've yielded their spirit to find healing, to find your presence in their life, and they have not yielded. They're, they're not yielded themselves to your way, your truth, and the things that they wrestle with are their truth. I pray for those today. I pray that you touch their hearts. And I pray that you lead them to pray with an, an altar team member later on. And Lord, I pray for the Christians con carne. Those who have been wrestling, they're stagnant, they think they're, they think they're in the right place, but Lord, they've just been on the sidelines and they're, 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 they're trying to overdo it. Maybe they're overcompensating. 
Maybe they're making it too complicated. I just pray that you draw them to you, that you draw them to healing, that you draw them to freedom. I pray that you bring them into the relationship with a godly person who's going to love them and yet challenge them. I pray for pride to be gone in Jesus' name so people can actually listen and set and rest and communicate, have accountability. Can we say accountability again? Can we find some accountability in this place so that we can be healed in Jesus' name and not only talk about our issues, but be free of our issues. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.